0: The 144,000 Jewish evangelists we saw back in uh, chapter seven uh, in verse four, 144,000 of all the tribes uh, of the children of Israel uh, together with the lamb uh, there upon uh, Mount Zion. So this seems to be the case that uh, Christ has returned. This is not the rapture of course. Rapture would be before uh, the tribulation period. Here Christ is, is pictured evidently having Uh, returned and and standing upon Mount Zion here with the 144,000. And so I think it's a reasonable conclusion that this this particular passage of five verses or so uh, is um, apparently, evidently at the outset of the millennium, uh, right around the time of the beginning uh, of the millennium. John says he saw a lamb. Well, this is language that gets applied to Christ, of course, uh, in 1 Peter 1. Uh, and verse 19, Peter writes of our salvation uh, uh, and our redemption uh, with the precious blood of the Lamb, a Lamb without blemish and without spot. That, of course, is our Christ, as perfect, sinless uh, sacrifice that made for a perfect, sinless Savior. Uh, he, of course, is, is the Lamb. And so this is a, a pretty awesome scene that's in, in view here Uh, Brother Garcia. Uh, John hears a voice. uh, He says a voice from heaven. It's pretty clearly the voice of Christ. So he sees Christ at Zion with the 144,000. He hears a voice, verse 2. He says, I heard a voice uh, from heaven as the voice of what? What are the next two words? Many waters. Uh, back in uh, chapter 1, um, verse 15, well, chapter 1, verse 13, 13 he says, he, de- he describes the voice of one like unto the Son of Man. We know Son of Man is language that uh, refers to Christ. And then in chapter 1, verse 15, he says, feet are like fine brass as if they burned in a furnace and his voice uh, as the sound of many waters. Uh, powerful waters rushing from one place uh, to another. You've, uh, who, who's been to Niagara Falls? Who, Niagara Falls is, is the Canadian Falls especially, right, Brother Ray? Pretty impressive. You, you stand there at the, at the top of the falls. The water is rushing over, and it's, it's, it's truly awesome. That's, that's a good place to use that word. Uh, the the image of the water rushing over the sound of the water it's uh, it's powerful it's it's awesome uh, hear the voice of Christ as the voice of many waters and uh, and so John is is privileged to have this wonderful vision of the returned uh, the the resurrected glorified and now returned Christ uh, and to hear his voice uh, uh, the voice of many waters, he goes on and says, and as the voice of a great thunder, uh, powerful, like, like, like powerful, loud thunder. He said, also heard the voice of harpers uh, harping uh, with their uh, harps. Back in chapter 5 and verse 8, uh, harps were seen in, in, in one of John's visions of the throne room. Uh, four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, uh, having every one of them harps. That's where we see the golden vials of odors, which are the prayers of saints. Also, Uh, remember that verse, so wonderful, Uh, the prayers of the saints pictured as being retained in vials, like a precious, valuable uh, perfume uh, there in the throne room of heaven. So, Uh, Yep, evidently there are harps uh, in heaven. Zach, not just something from our sort of cultural ideas of of heaven, Uh, but uh, there are, in fact, harps. There's uh, beautiful, heavenly music, uh, no doubt. Rich, I look forward to hearing uh, beautiful, heavenly uh, music. We're doing our best in our church to have music that is godly and uh, and Christ-honoring and, and different from the music of the world. But I, I rather suspect the music of heaven uh, is that much better, uh, infinitely better, uh, infinitely more wonderful uh, than what men can compose. Praise God for our wonderful hymns. Don't, don't mean to demean them in any way. We're grateful for them. But uh, no doubt, heavenly music will be wonderful. Uh, in verse 3, uh, the heavenly... Uh, music, a little bit more on heavenly music, uh, they sung as it were uh, a new song. And so it seems to be that the, the 144,000 are, are singing a, a worship song, a song of worship here. They sung as it were uh, a new song before the throne, uh, and before the four beasts and the elders, this wonderful scene of the throne room of heaven that we've seen before. This is interesting. No man could learn that song but the, the 140 uh, and 4,000 which were redeemed uh, from the earth. It's very interesting. Um, uh, none could learn it, uh, understand it, appreciate it. This is a uh, evidently a particular ministry that the Lord has for uh, these 144,000, perhaps, Rich, it's it's part of the blessing uh, that they will know uh, for their faithful evangelistic service uh, in the um, the future tribulation period. So, uh, Zach, this would be quite a choir, I think. Uh, 144,000 uh, saved Jewish evangelists. Um, I don't think there's any reason to not read it quite literally and say, Hey, this is. Uh, this is wonderful heavenly music uh, set to harps. The 144,000 have the privilege to worship uh, in that worship to serve the Lord uh, through this song that is given for their unique ministry of worship uh, there. And so uh, I have no doubt that we will sing, Brother Ray, in, in heaven as well. I think we can make a biblical case for that. But. Uh, This seems to be unique to the 144,000. In the next couple of verses, we get a little bit of the character of the 144,000. The Lord uh, describes them, their traits, their their character. You see uh, at least three things here. You see that uh, they're pure, uh, they're yielded to the Lord. The Bible says they're without guile. What's guile? What is that? Uh, Sin uh, in general. Uh, more specifically, you might say deceit, which is sinful, Brother Gary, uh, sure. Uh, so the Lord describes them uh, as pure and yielded and, and without guile, without sin, without deceit. Uh, well, praise God. Those would be traits that uh, we would love the Lord to be able to apply to us uh, as well. See verse 4, uh, these are they which were not defiled with women for they are virgins Um, So that could be understood literally, uh, perhaps. It might be offered more uh, poetically uh, with the idea being that uh, they did not commit spiritual adultery in uh, pursuing after uh, the Antichrist, the false prophet, the beasts, Uh, could have that idea. And I don't know for sure, but I, I would offer that Uh, This could be literal language, they were pure in the literal sense or perhaps in the spiritual sense uh, of of having remained faithful to the Lord uh, throughout the ministry that that he called them to. Uh, Both are good, both are good. One day we'll we'll know for sure uh, what the Lord is describing here. But in any sense, there's a purity. Uh, that's that's being pictured here. Perhaps a faithfulness as well. He says, "These are they uh, which follow the Lamb with a capital L, right? Christ, the Lamb, uh, whithersoever He goeth. So they're they're yielded. Uh, they're following the Lamb wherever He leads." Uh, Zach, it's interesting here. The Lamb is more like the shepherd, right? In Christ, the Lamb, uh, is pictured here is more like the shepherd. Leading the lambs, but he's both, right? He he's the lamb, he's the perfect sacrificial lamb, but he's also the shepherd. And the language is uh, wonderful uh, in its poetic significance. Uh, They they follow the lamb whithersoever uh, he goeth. Wouldn't it be great uh, if, when our days are done, someone could say, "Boy, uh, that that person, look 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 at that that individual right there." Wasn't perfect, of course, but he or she followed Christ uh, wherever Christ led. And th- these, of course, have the, uh, the wonderful, wonderful privilege of being described this way. He said these were redeemed from among men, uh, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. Uh, Zach, how do you understand the difference between God and the Lamb here? Uh, end of verse four, being the first fruits of them unto God and to the Lamb. How might you understand the difference between God and the Lamb? Yeah. So this is a, just another example of pretty much always when you see not not perhaps not every single time, but most of the time in the New Testament, uh, the word God is going to refer specifically to the Father, distinctly from the Son, and uh, that that's pretty clear here in, in this verse that there is a distinction. Uh, the first fruits unto God uh, and, and to the lamb. Uh, and so that that probably is that distinction probably in view here. How were they the first fruits? Well, they're, they're um, probably the idea is that they are the first uh, saved during the tribulation period. These, uh, these are the first who are saved relatively early that they go out, spread across the world, share the gospel Uh, throughout the tribulation period we'll stop there and and, and say this is it hard to share the gospel today if we're being honest it can be sometimes it feels relatively easy and we praise God for that Um, you know sometimes you just have a a boldness and strength and a confidence from the Lord and it feels relatively easy other times it feels really tough uh, very, very very challenging. Uh, Zach, I, I can't imagine the difficulty these folks will encounter during the tribulation period. Uh, you know, there's, uh, all of the difficulty of, of the trial, all of the opposition that they will know from the Antichrist, um, you know, the, the two beasts, um, all of the satanic opposition, and just all of the physical trials that, that the world will be experiencing. Uh, And and yet they evidently have been faithful. Uh, uh, No doubt that's because the Lamb uh, has led them and given them everything that they need to have done that. And uh, Rich, of course, the very same principles apply to us, whether it feels hard or whether it feels easy. We just need to be yielded to the Lord and trust him for everything that we need to be the evangelist that he's called us to be. Uh, we can find confidence in him, boldness in him, uh, everything, physical strength, which is needed to kind of go out and do that sometimes, certainly. Uh, we can, uh, we can do that. I'm thankful uh, for those who were able to go out yesterday. I'm thankful for, uh, in Bridgeport, thankful for those who were able to go out and just distribute scripture in Trumbull. Uh, last week, uh, the week before that, uh, a few of us were at... Uh, Uh, stop and shop on main street uh, here in bridgeport and gary that was a day that it just seemed easy you know people were happy to receive scripture and talk a little bit and we praise god for that we're gonna prayerfully go back to that location one day uh, soon our next bridgeport day probably be there and so we'll 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 pray about that consider that further but seemed like the lord did did use us there. So we, we thank him for that. Uh, number three, these were they without guile. In their mouth was found no guile, no sin, no deceit, no lying, uh, for they are without fault before uh, the throne of God. They are without fault before the throne of God. And so, yeah, they've been obedient. They've been um, obedient to the Lord as, as he had led them. Uh, Zach, are these men who were perfectly sinless in every way? No, probably not. Uh, the Lord views them as having uh, been without fault. Why? Well, the blood of the lamb covers their sin, uh, and so they're viewed that way before the throne of God. By the way, that phrase, uh, before the throne of God, is missing uh, in most, possibly all. I didn't check them all, but in all the modern uh, translations that I looked at, uh, that, that phrase before the throne of God is, is missing. So we understand that's because the modern Bible translations for the most part are made from a corrupted underlying text that's missing many words, many phrases, numbers of verses, uh, including entire passages uh, are, are missing from the uh, so-called critical text, the Greek from which uh, modern Bible translations are made. And this is just another example of, of one of the places where corruption has entered in uh, and affected the translations. That we thank, we're thankful this morning, aren't we, that the Lord, that doesn't mean the Lord hasn't preserved his words, he has. He's preserved his words in the Greek and Hebrew that have been traditionally received by God's people down through time. Uh, and uh, accordingly, that that text has been available to make translations uh, like our King James English, like the Rene Valera uh, in Spanish, like many other uh, translations throughout the world, uh, including the translation that Brother Mickey is making uh, in Kenya today. Uh, They're taking up the same Greek and Hebrew from which our King James Bible Uh, is translated and endeavoring to make uh, a translation in, I can't think of the the language, Swahili, the same way that the King James was made. Go ahead, sir, please. I have a question for you. And I just want to purpose it by saying that I agree with you. The King James has always been my favorite version. I've always used it. Yeah. What what I know is that we can see down through history that um, the Greek and Hebrew text that was employed by the King James translators in 1611 is in fact consistent with the body of manuscripts that you can see earlier in history. Um, This is a longer conversation. And and by the way, let me mention, I, I am praying about and planning to do a joint Sunday school class. So we'll bring the teens uh, together with everybody else. And I wanna look at this issue in, in more detail so that um, as a church we can be reminded of the reasons, the technical reasons to understand why we believe that King James is translated from the text that, that kind of always existed, and that it wasn't until some um, faulty uh, work done in the, actually the 1800s uh, by a man named Tischendorf that a corruption was introduced into um, the stream of texts uh, that ultimately got picked up by Westcott and Hort, Nestle and Allen, the United Bible Society. Um, for some, some reasons, uh, academicians said that the new new discoveries were, were better and they, they kind of ran with it, but those manuscripts that were discovered in 1800s didn't agree with each other and didn't agree with the text that God's people always had. So I think we can we can look at that and say, there's, there's good practical and theological reasons to conclude that the text that was available to the King James Bible translators is the text that um, God gave and, and preserved as he promised uh, and was used in the late 1500s in, in Spain and the 1600s in England. Uh, and, and elsewhere since then. So, Gary, that's uh, that's the question, right? That is the question, and I want to take uh, probably a couple of Sunday school classes sometime soon. I don't have it on the calendar yet. I'm still praying about that and looking at that. But I want to I want to answer that question in more depth and really do it justice because. Listen, the Bible is the foundation, right? How do you know that you have an accurate translation of the words that God actually gave? Uh, You might look at a verse like this and say, well, I'm not sure that a whole lot of harm is done if that final phrase is is missing, but Rich, if the Holy Spirit gave those words, he wants us to have those words, and and there's a good reason for that, right? Uh, And of course, there's many other places where harm is done to doctrine, Uh, in a very significant way. So we're going to come back and and look at the issue uh, in a bit more detail. Uh, Pray about that. Pray that the Lord will just kind of help us all get to the same place there. Um, And I'll tell you what, when we do that, I'm going to tentatively at least offer some arguments from both sides of the equation. kind of look at some of the arguments that the modern Bible version uh, translators have employed uh, and then kind of evaluate those and be as fair as we can. Does that argument really stand up uh, to Bible doctrine as understood by Bible believers um, or not? Uh, One of the things we need to understand is that some of the translators that have been utilized by modern Bibles Modern versions, uh, arguably, are, are not genuine believers. Uh, and so there's there's good amount of evidence of that. So we'll, we'll look at it from both sides of the equation and, and draw uh, faithful conclusions as best we can. Uh, let's continue on. So we see here the Lord uh, standing there upon Zion. Uh, evidently, he's, he's returned. We see 144,000. Uh, we see them also uh, in, in the throne room. Uh, of heaven, worshiping, uh, and I think some of that is a little bit difficult to understand how you get from one place to the other, but uh, in any event, they're, they're seen here in this vision worshiping, and uh, they're pure, they're yielded, they're without guile, they're seen as, uh, as sinless in God's eyes, having had the blood of Christ covering their sins, Brother Ray, uh, Lord, help us to have a testimony like this, pure and yielded. Uh, Oh, faithful to you, uh, and yielded to you, Uh, Lord, help me to have that kind of testimony uh, when my days are done. Uh, Let's move on. I'm not going to try to get through this chapter today, so don't don't worry about that. But uh, let's move on Um, in the in the next uh, portion of the chapter. It's really from here uh, through the end of the chapter. uh, John sees six angels. It seems to be six different angels. Of course, he has seen other angels uh, in prior visions. And that's probably why he says in verse 6, I saw another angel. So he's seen angels previously. uh, And now it seems to be the case that Lord allows him to see, uh, to have visions of uh, six angels. Why is this a vision and not a dream? No indication that he's asleep, right? All right. So, the Lord's using these sort of daytime visions, it would seem, uh, to uh, reveal six more angels, uh, their ministry, their message, the purpose that the Lord uh, is using them. Uh, and so, see verse six. The first angel, Bible says, possess the quote everlasting gospel. Verse six says this: I saw another angel fly in the midst of heavens. Remember. Uh, this this would seem to be uh, during the tribulation period, the future tribulation period. John says, I saw another angel fly in the midst uh, of heaven, having the uh, everlasting gospel uh, to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation uh, and kindred and tongue uh, and people. By the way, there's, there's no uh, racism of any kind there, right? The Lord Jesus Christ came. Uh, and died for all people, uh, every nation, every kindred, every tongue, all people. Uh, there's, there's no bias in view here uh, at all. So, so much bias in, in the world today, so much hate characterizes the world today. Well, that's, that's contrary uh, to God's purposes, God, God's intentions. Certainly, Christ came for everyone uh, and died for everyone. Uh, sees an angel fly in the midst of heaven. Uh, here uh, the underlying language um, is literally something like the mid heaven we're not certainly not challenging the translation, but this is one of those places where you, you have tools where you can use to look at uh, some of the underlying language it does add uh, it does add some insight. Um, uh, so here, the the mid heaven or or the midst of heaven might refer to the second heaven. The, Zach, if there's three, there's a middle one, right? And so the first heaven, a place where the uh, the birds fly, the second heaven, place where the sun, moon, and stars are, the third heaven being where the the throne room of God is. Um, so this 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 might refer to the uh, the heavens ab- above the earth. Uh, technically, literally, it's just kind of an interesting note. He saw an angel fly in the midst of heaven having the everlasting gospel. So uh, this, this angel possesses the gospel uh, and evidently is being used by the Lord to preach the gospel. It's very interesting. Uh, verse three is his message. Remember the angels are uh, ministers, God's ministers and messengers. They minister and they deliver messages. Sometimes their ministry is to deliver a message. Uh, Here's what they're saying in verse 7, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, fear him, uh, and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come. Uh, Worship him that made the heaven and the earth and the sea uh, and the fountains of waters. Worship your creator. Uh, So uh, verse 1 implies that this angel is proclaiming the gospel, uh warning that hey if you're not saved you need to be saved you need to place your faith you need to repent place your faith in the lamb uh and, and fear god give him glory and, and worship him uh, and so there's um at least allusions here to four, a fourfold message the gospel uh, plus the three parts um, of verse 7. That's very interesting, Rich. The Lord is using this angel in this way at this point. Uh, Zach, I don't see any reason not to understand it literally. It seems to me that there's, there's an angel uh, who, is, who is moving over, over the world, preaching the gospel and calling people to fear God, give glory to him, uh, and, and to worship him. Uh, he's used um, the 144,000, Um, he's used the, how many witnesses there in Jerusalem? The two witnesses, right? Uh, Quite supernaturally, Brother Ray. Uh, And so this is just another way, evidently, that the Lord is working supernaturally uh, to get the gospel out. And I think we're probably here seeing something that's happening really toward the end uh, of the tribulation period. The 144,000 have done their thing uh, and and this is the Lord's final attempt. I believe this to be the case. His final effort uh, to blanket the world with the gospel and call uh, everyone to the Lord to fear Him, to give Him glory, to worship, to be saved, to fear Him, to give Him glory, um, and to worship Him. And so. Uh, no one is going to be able to say, "I didn't know." <laughs> I, I, I didn't know, I, Lord. I, I didn't know what the gospel was. I didn't. I never heard the truth. No one, uh, come the end of the tribulation period, is going to be able to say that uh, the witnesses will be heard. The two will be heard around the world. The 144,000 will have moved across the world, uh, and evidently, this angel will move across the world, preaching the gospel and calling people. Uh, to Christ. Uh, Gary, we understand right now the Lord is is using us. Uh, He's not using 144,000 right now. He's not using uh, two supernaturally empowered witnesses in Jerusalem. He's not using an angel this way, at least, right now. God's plan right now is to get the gospel out into the world through churches, uh, which obviously consist of individual church members, each of us called to be in in this business um, so that uh, people can be saved uh, and and know the presence of God in their lives and uh, miss the tribulation period. Uh, Aren't you glad this morning? And just stop and thank the Lord right now. Lord, thank you that uh, if the rapture comes today, uh, we're gone. We miss the tribulation period, uh, those of us who are saved. Praise God. See just a little bit more here. Again, we're not trying to get through the passage this morning. Uh, A second angel uh, in verse eight, uh, John says, uh, he describes the the vision. He says, and there followed another angel. So verse six, another, in addition to those that he's seen previously. uh, Verse eight, yet another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen that great city uh, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath uh, of her fornication and so this is another place where we see a reference to Babylon uh, and a city and of course it, it could be the case that this is um, a revived city of Babylon uh, but it seems to more likely be the case that um, this is a reference to the, the world system of the Antichrist, the uh, the political, the corrupted political system of the Antichrist certainly coupled with Uh, a corrupted religious system of of the Antichrist, Uh, the the political system, the economic system, the religious system of the tribulation period, all a corruption of the perfect system that we will know in the millennium, uh, the system of of the Antichrist. Um, Does it have a a literal physical headquarters in a literal Babylon? Uh, That would be in Iraq. Uh, maybe, uh, I don't know. Others have said it could be Rome, maybe, I don't know. Uh, in a more general sense, it does seem to refer to the system of the Antichrist. It'll not continue, Zach, forever. Uh, there will be a day coming where an angel can say, It is fallen. <laughs> it is no more. Uh, it is fallen. Uh, and we praise God for that. We. We understand that, that today the, the political and economic systems of the world are imperfect. Uh, as good as our own systems are in this country, they are imperfect. Uh, they will get far less perfect uh, when the Antichrist implements his system uh, in the uh, tribulation, but a perfect system will follow in the millennium. This is our hope. Uh, Then verses nine through 11, uh, uh, a third angel here, yet another angel, says third angel followed them saying with a loud voice, if any man worship the beast uh, and his image. So one angel is preaching the gospel. Uh, One angel is, is proclaiming the, the overthrow of the system of the ultimate overthrow of the system of the Antichrist. Then a third angel here is pictured as warning Warning against uh, worshiping uh, uh, the beast uh, and receiving. This verse is famous, of course, for the mark of the beast. Verse 9: Third angel followed him, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast uh, and his image, uh, so we've seen references to these two beasts of the tribulation period, one being the Antichrist, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, Uh, The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, Uh, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone uh, in the presence of his holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment uh, ascendeth up forever and forever, forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image, and whoso receiveth Uh, the name of his mark. And so, uh, we don't have a lot of time to go into this this morning, but certainly uh, hell is in view here in these verses. Uh, And certainly it would seem to be the case that those who worship the Antichrist as he will desire to be worshiped in the future tribulation period, um, will, will suffer the consequence of hell. Uh, we've seen and, and heard lots of teaching and preaching about this mark in, in verse 9 and in verse 10. This seems to be the case that this mark is required to buy and sell. Uh, we don't know exactly what it is, but it's a mark that can be received either into the forehead or into the hand, um, and that those who, who receive the mark uh, will, uh, will experience hell uh, in eternal hell. And so there's been a lot of debate about these passages over the years. Um, Rich, we've, we've heard people argue that uh, saved people who take the mark so that they can buy what they need during the tribulation period uh, will lose their salvation. I personally would reject that idea. I think it's, it's inconsistent with all of the teaching of salvation throughout scripture. Uh, Zach, how are people saved today? Repentance of, faith repentance of faith in Christ. How are they going to be saved during the tribulation period? Okay. Same way. Repentance of sin, faith, or repentance toward God, faith in Christ. Um, how secure is your salvation today? 100%, according to Scripture. And I don't see any indication in Scripture that um, that um, salvation. Is procured the same way as it always has been. That salvation in the tribulation period will be any less secure unless that's what the Lord means here. But I, I don't think that is the case. And so, um, how might we understand these verses? Well, not an original idea, but the explanation that I've heard and feels. You know, I don't feel like the Holy Spirit is saying no, no, no. That's that's not right. Um, I think the idea here is that people who are genuinely saved will not worship the antichrist and people who are genuinely saved will not receive his mark uh, his brand upon them for any reason they, they'll they'll refuse uh, to do that they'll not worship him right people who are genuinely saved don't worship false gods uh, or demonically empowered uh, people that's not consistent with salvation uh, neither would they take his brand which would uh, indicate ownership by him. Pe- saved people would not do that. They do not do that. And so I believe that's the idea here. And I, I acknowledge people do have slightly different understandings. Um, but I, I think that that probably is the best way to harmonize uh, all of scripture, everything we know about salvation and security of salvation. Brother Ray, say people don't do certain things. Gary, go ahead, please. Yeah. I mean I myself and I believe that you if you're honest already, but <laughs> if you're faced with that situation, can we really say hundred percent for sure that we're not gonna receive a yeah, fantastic sure, sure. case. I sincerely hopefully we, so. we hope that if we were in the Tribulation, now we we expect not to be in the tribulation, uh if we understand our Bibles correctly, and hopefully we do, um but but say we're wrong about that don't think we are wrong but if we are wrong and we find ourselves in the tribulation period right there's there's going to come a day when people are going to be challenged to worship the antichrist and to take his mark just if we understand correctly just so that they can get the things they need to stay alive it would seem to be the case You, you don't know. You, you you hope the Lord would give you faith and courage to not deny Him. Uh, we think of that young lady at Columbine High School who refused to deny Christ and and was was murdered uh, as as a consequence. Brother Ray, there's a special crown for martyrs, and no doubt she will know that crown uh, and have the unique, well, very special privilege—not unique, very special privilege of worshiping Christ with that crown in eternity. Gary, we like to believe that we, we, you know, people will find the same faith in Christ. Uh, by the way, does that mean that some people will die in the tribulation because they refuse to w- worship the Antichrist and to take his mark? I think it absolutely demands that that, that, is, that is the case. Um, but that ultimately the Lord has purposes for that. By the way, stop and think about this for a second. We're done, we're out of time. Uh, What might be one of the Lord's purposes for this is stop and think about this. The Lord is still trying to reach people with the gospel. Uh, The whole world is hearing the gospel uh, several uh, very special supernatural ways um, at this time or, or throughout this period. Uh, and now here's some who claim that they're Christians and and who will refuse to worship the Antichrist refuse to take his mark, knowing that they're ultimately going to die because of that. Might God has purposes for that, Zach? Um, well, those who aren't, aren't saved yet can see that and say, well, it's, they really believe up to that point. Yeah. Yeah. The same way that we look upon that young lady at Columbine, I wish I could think of her name. We should know her name. Uh, and, no, boy, that faith was real. Her faith was so real to her that when someone was staring at her uh, in the eyes with a gun uh, that she refused to denounce Christ. I think her name was Rachel Scott. Rachel Scott. Thank she you, sir. She was outside of the uh, school having lunch with a friend, and that she was one of the first people Thank you, sir. We should know her name. Rachel Scott. Thank you. We'll double check that right you said i think but if i know you you're right another girl in the lunchroom or the library was <laughs> questioned, too yeah okay yeah um, so right we think back upon them and the experience that was reported and and you're you're moved by that their faith was so real that they refused to denounce christ uh, in in order to save their own lives and I rather think that something like that is in view here. people lost people will look upon the refusal of saved people to receive this mark and say, Wow, um, that that really has stopping power. I really need to consider this gospel message that you know the, these one hundred and forty four thousand and these two guys in Jerusalem that seem so weird, but okay, and we're here in this angelic thing that we can't escape there must be something and now you got people who are refusing to deny this to save their lives I think it's part of God's system part of his plan to ultimately to save people yeah I, I'm sh- I rather suspect you're right Gary yeah so um Right, we're going to take care to to not see this as the possibility of losing salvation. Don't think that's being taught here. Rather, it's the faithfulness of those who are genuinely saved um, and their willingness to testify to the truth of the gospel uh, in their willingness, in and through their willingness to even die for Christ. Um, Did he die for us? Amen. He did. We did. Let's stop there. Father, thank you so much uh, for uh, your words. Lord, we we shudder as we look ahead at some of these uh, future events, but we know, Lord, that you know what it will take to save people uh, who have stood so firmly against you, against Christ, the cross, and the gospel. Uh, Lord, no doubt uh, you have authored this plan because you know. You've known from before the foundation of the world uh, that some will be saved as a result of this plan, of, as a result of all of the judgment, the, plus the 144,000, the witnesses, the supernatural things, the, uh, the angels, their message and their ministry, uh, and the faithfulness of your people. Lord, these things uh, combined will produce an effect. Um, no doubt many will be saved because of this. Uh, you know that Father, and so you have architected this amazing uh, plan, Father. As we look upon this, we we wonder if there's not another way. Of course, there is a way. People could simply come to Christ today. But uh, Lord, you know, you know what it will take to bring many to Christ, Father. I thank you so very much this morning that you're a gracious God. Uh, you know what it will take. Uh, And you're willing to bring that to pass through your sovereign um, efforts to step into history and to cause these things to come to pass, to save people. That's a wonderfully gracious thing. And Lord, we thank you. We thank you so much. Father, I thank you that there will be people um, at this future time who will be willing, evidently, to die for Christ. Lord, give us hearts to always be willing to stand for you no matter what, knowing that we have a Savior who died for us. We have a Savior who loves us so much that he died for us. Father, thank you for your love, for your grace, for your mercy. We're grateful. Father, I love you. I thank you. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We'll see you back here shortly. Thank you.